Gracious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. How do you envision, perceive the kingdom of God? Maybe a better way of wording that question is, how do you define what it means to be on God's side? To to do what God does, to think the way God thinks. How How do you determine... What it means to be in the right place with God. To believe that you're on the right path that God wants you to be on. You start asking those kinds of questions and there are a lot of opinions you're going to get. Outside the church, you will hear answers such as spirituality is defined by my personal opinion. All roads lead to God. As long as you're sincere about it, that's okay. Be a good person. Be a tolerant person. Really, it's, it's about whatever works for you. Inside the walls of the church, we like to think that our, our answers are vastly, radically different from those of people outside the church. But honestly, too often our answers don't look all that different. We tend to want to shape the kingdom of God in our own image. We think about we think about our our faith with God much more about what's God going to do for me than what am I going to do for God. And too often we are we are just as self centered, self absorbed, and confused as people who are outside the walls of the church. But that's not new. I mean, it's been going on since the fall in Genesis. It's certainly a part of what Jesus encounters in first century Palestine, which I think is one of the reasons why he talks about the kingdom of God so much. At least 85 times, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like. And the passage we've read this morning is one of those places. Here's Jesus, he's teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and in the middle of his teaching, he stops because he sees a woman who is bent over, doubled over, crippled. He discovers that for 18 years, this is the way she's lived. 18 years, bent over, doubled, unable to stand up straight. And Jesus' heart goes out to her. He's great compassion for her. So he calls her over, and he touches her, and she's healed. And she stands up straight, and she begins to celebrate. And I suspect everybody in the place is celebrating. Well, almost everybody. The synagogue ruler is not quite so happy. He says, not to Jesus, but to the people, you know, if you really want to do some work, you got six days to do work. This is the Sabbath. 
So if you want to be healed, you come one of those other days. We don't do those kinds of things on the Sabbath. Can you imagine being that cold-hearted? That, that in essence, you're sending the message that it would be better for this woman not to be healed at all than for Jesus to do such a blasphemous thing on the Sabbath. And of course, Jesus is not going to let that go. And he is furious. And he turns to the synagogue ruler and the people who are with him and says, you hypocrites. You have no problem pulling one of your animals out of the ditch because they are involved in your livelihood. No problem pulling an animal out of the ditch, but you don't want me to release this woman after 18 years of suffering? What is wrong with you people? And when Jesus finishes, the crowd has a mixed reaction. The synagogue ruler and those who are with him slink away humiliated. And everybody else is wanting to put Jesus on their shoulders and say, this is the man. This is awesome. And Luke says that the people are so thrilled because of all the great things that Jesus is doing. Now, which of those reactions do you hope, which do you, hope you have to the things that God is doing? Which, which camp do you hope you're going to be in? Which camp do you think Jesus wants you to be in? I think we're all saying, yeah, we want to be the group of people celebrating what Jesus has done. We want to, to rejoice in the miraculous things that God is doing through Christ. And we celebrate that. I mean, isn't that where you want to be? And Jesus must be thrilled with this reaction from the people. What intrigues me is that he doesn't seem to be as thrilled as I think he might be. It's as though he says, he listens to what they have to say and he stops and he says, you guys really don't understand what the kingdom's about, do you? You really haven't quite grasped what I'm trying to do here, have you? And I can see him sort of pacing, pondering, thinking to himself, how, how can I make this clearer? How can I describe the kingdom of God for you? And when he speaks, he talks about a guy planting seeds and a woman baking bread. Now, in, this, in these metaphors that Jesus uses, he is focusing on the, the emphasis of the end result. This mustard seed, he says, grows into a tree and the birds perch on its branches. Now, a mustard seed is a very small, a mustard tree is a very small tree. It, it doesn't hold much. And as you can see, they're small. And probably just small birds can rest on its branches, if you call those branches. But the mustard tree is a place of rest, a place of refuge for these small little birds. 
And when Jesus talks about, about bread, you know, bread is so essential to every culture, to every people. We all need nourishment. And I don't care where you go, among what people you may find yourself, it doesn't matter what race or creed, nationality, anything about people, everyone needs food. And at the center point of virtually every person's food supply is bread. It's the most basic staple of every culture, pretty much. Some type of, of, of bread people eat. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God as a place of refuge and as a place of nourishment. It's a place of refuge for the needy and a place of nourishment for the hungry. And when we start talking about the church, that's really what we ought to be thinking. That the church is a place where people come and they find rest and refuge and nourishment and nurturing. In all the burdens and the pains and the struggles of life, this is the one place where people can come, take a deep breath, and find refuge. In the hungering and thirsting that we go through in life, the people of the world go through in life. The church should be the one place of all the places of the world where people come and they find nourishment for their weary, hungry souls. That's what the Sabbath is about. That's what the synagogue is about, the church. The people that Jesus encounters here in, in this story who oppose him, simply have a a warped understanding of what Sabbath is about. God creates Sabbath as a built-in time of rest for us. A time when we pull back, we re-energize, we recharge in the presence of God. Sabbath is about healing and restoration. It's perfectly natural. It's the most natural thing in the world for Jesus to heal this woman on the Sabbath. What better time than on the Sabbath? And in the church, in the midst of God's people. This is why my favorite imagery of the church is a hospital. I think if I have to default, if I could only have one imagery of the church, it'd be a hospital. Because it's all about needy, hurting people coming to be healed and to be set free. The church is not a country club where everyone has it all together, or at least pretends to have it all together, and then you're welcomed. Sometimes we see the church like that. But the church is much more like a hospital where needy, hurting people come and find healing. I mean, doesn't Jesus declare, I have come for people who are sick, not for people who are well. I've come for people who, who realize they need a doctor, not for the people who think they don't. And when you think about a hospital, there are people who are in the emergency room. They have acute problems, life and death problems. People who are in operating rooms. Who are, who are going through some, some very extensive surgery, trying to deal with long-standing problems. 
You have people in ICU. You have people in waiting rooms. You have people in regular rooms. And, and there are some people who, who know enough, have been healed enough, that they actually can help other people in their need. But the one thing about the church as a hospital is that every person, no matter what room they're in or whether no matter how much they have been healed, will only stay healthy if they're continually connected to the great physician, Jesus Christ. Every person is in need of the healing of Christ. We recognize that we never are free from that. We never want to be free from that. And in this place, with all of its pains and struggles and difficulties, all the things that we bring with us every Sunday when we come to worship and all the other times that we gather, and when we go out as the church, because of the great physician, the church can actually be a place of healing and nourishment for our soul, mind, body, spirit. Because the church is like a mustard tree, like a loaf of bread to our weary, hungry lives. This is what we dream for this church to be. It's, it's really at the heart of, of our vision statement. And we'll be talking more about that in, in a couple of weeks. But I wanted to share with you again the opening paragraph of that vision statement. Because believing that we are an agent of God in Houghton and the surrounding areas, Houghton Wesleyan Church will be a place of grace and healing. Enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will provide a safe refuge and a holy place to be the people of God we know that we should and must be. This can only be accomplished through our individual and mutual commitment to and our corporate worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be the first to declare we are not there yet. But it's what we hope by the grace of God to be. A nurturing, nourishing, safe refuge for all people. One of God's hospitals for our needy souls. A voice of peace and resolution rather than a voice of complaints and accusation and dissension. Mustard tree, a loaf of bread. But how do we get to that point? How do we become this kind of of nurturing church, a place of refuge for people in need? Well, as as these parables tell us, The kingdom of God is not just about the end result. It's about the process of getting there. It's about seeing the kingdom of God the way Jesus describes it. And it may well be different than we might typically think. Remember, Jesus has just healed this woman. This miraculous thing has just taken place in the midst of these people. And and I suspect that after seeing this woman stoop for 18 years and watching her stand up straight for the first time, 
that the people expect Jesus to say, the kingdom of God is like this huge mountain that overlooks the city. The kingdom of God is like a mighty warrior going off to battle. It's like a fortress that holds back the enemy around us. It's like the parting of a mighty river. It's like the temple that looms in Jerusalem. But instead of those grandiose images, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a little tiny mustard seed. It's like leaven you put into bread. And I keep asking myself, what is it about those metaphors that explain the kingdom in that context that other metaphors don't? I think it comes back to the size the size of the seed and the amount of the leaven. Now, these are both pictures of just common Palestinian life. Mustard seeds are, are very, very small. I brought with me a container this morning of mustard seeds. There are more than a thousand of them in this little jar. I thought about handing them out to everyone this morning, but I thought that'd probably be a mess. But if you afterwards you want to take some home with you, feel free to do that. Little tiny mustard seeds. And in leaven, you just use a little bit. My niece is in the process of opening a bakery in central Pennsylvania. She has a culinary degree from a school in New York City, and she's in the process of getting this thing together. And I talked to her this week about leaven. And she described the whole process to me. I won't go into all those details of it with you. It's, it is a fascinating thing, though, to, to watch how they set aside the dough and you know it ferments and it keeps growing and growing, You know, kind of like that Amish bread that you put on your counter that sort of takes over your house if you're not careful. People keep giving it away because you can't control it. And, and you just take, but she said, you just take a little bit of that. Just a little bit. She's making mainly French sourdough type breads. And she said, probably of, of, the, of, the, of the mound of dough that you work with, probably less than 5% of it is leaven. It's just a small amount. And yet it does amazing things. And Jesus seems to be emphasizing the size, the smallness of the seed and the leaven as images of the kingdom of God. He does that because we tend to think of the kingdom as power, as big, as those miraculous things. In our minds, that's the kingdom of God. We tend to judge success by big things. And this parable tells us maybe it's not quite that. Because more often than not, the kingdom of God is most visible and most active in the small, unpretentious things. Like helping a child who's fallen down. Preparing a meal for somebody who's in need. Offering a ride to somebody who needs one. It's... It's just speaking a word of love, having a listening ear, giving your time to someone when time is one of the most precious possessions you have. And we do those things when we feel like it and when we don't feel like it, when we're recognized and especially when we're not recognized. It's in the acts of humility and kindness and compassion as a body of believers in the good times and the bad that we come together And we simply support one another. 
It's whatever we do in, in our lives that we do as an offering, as a gift to God and to other people. And things as common and mundane as fixing the plumbing, building a bridge, balancing a spreadsheet, washing dishes, teaching a class, doing homework. As this parable tells us, that more often than not, the kingdom of God is smaller than we think. I think this may be one of the reasons, the struggle about picturing the kingdom, maybe one of the reasons why we struggle about seeing the value and the importance of prayer and, and spending time in the scriptures. We don't see any, any cause and effect often out of those things. And we're looking for the big, we're looking for the miraculous, we're looking for that cause and effect. And, and when we don't see it, we get discouraged with it. And you look in this passage in, in 1 Kings that we read a little bit ago, and Elijah is, is looking for God. And God says, go out and stand on the mountain in my presence, and, and I'm going to pass by. And then this great powerful wind comes along, and I, Elijah looks, but God isn't in the wind. And then there's an earthquake, and he waits, but God isn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but he wasn't in the fire. And then he hears a gentle whisper. And Elijah knows that's God. How much are we investing in times of prayer in the scriptures? One of the things we're going to be focusing on this fall is is an emphasis on prayer. And over the course of of the next few months, we'll be talking a lot about prayer. It's going to culminate with some, I think, some exciting things later on in the fall. But realizing the power of God in those quiet Common moments of prayer in Scripture. Because the kingdom of God is so often smaller than we think. The kingdom of God doesn't have to be something mind-boggling, though we tend to look for it. It's in the common, in the everyday It's in the small things that we might so easily overlook and think are trivial and unimportant, but God's in those things. Just like leaven is mysteriously working its way through the dough, God is mysteriously working in our lives and in our church and in our world through things that we might be tempted to ignore. You think about all the ways in which God has has revealed himself to human beings. Often surprising ways. When God wants to impact the world, he surprises us. We would have sent a king with lightning flashing, stars exploding. God sends his son to be born of an unwed mother in a stable. We would have had this child grow in the most prestigious palace in the world, God plants them in an obscure village in Galilee. 
we would have had Jesus tear down the kingdoms of this world and make a huge show of everything he did so that everyone would know how great he is. And God leads him to death on the cross. The kingdom of God is so often smaller than we think. It's moving and hidden, perhaps unrealized ways. But we live with faith to believe that God is at work, even when we don't see him in the miraculous. That God is active in us and in others, even when we don't recognize the cause and effect. In every moment of life, God is working. In every circumstance of life, God is transforming. God is present in us and in this church and in this world. The kingdom of God is smaller than we think. And so we're confronted with our willingness to be faithful to God, whether we see the spectacular or not. And God does the spectacular. He does it all the time. But whether we see it, whether we experience it or not, we believe God's still at work, like mustard seed, like leaven. And we commit ourselves to everyday faithfulness in the common things of life, in the mundane things of life, in whatever paths down which God may lead us. However God chooses to use, what we do is in his hands. Whatever end result comes, that's God's prerogative. He simply calls us to have the faith to believe that mustard seeds and leaven can be used in his grace to do more than we could have ever imagined. Because we have come to see and believe that the kingdom of God is smaller than we might ever think. Merciful God, we pray that your church, being gathered together in the unity of your Holy Spirit, may reveal your power among all people, in the small things. We pray this for the glory of your name. And we ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, at work in this world. 
forever and ever. Amen.